My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Okay, uh, this morning we're going to be continuing on in our series, The King and His Kingdom. We've been going through Matthew's gospel, his, his eyewitness account of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, ministry of Jesus. And we've been exploring uh, the king and his kingdom. Like, that's what we've called the series. We've been exploring what it looks like to, to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. I think there's so much misunderstanding um, in the church even around this concept of the kingdom of heaven synonymous with the kingdom of God. It's more than just like a place that you go to after you die. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the rule and the reign of God, the true king, the king of kings, him getting his way, his kingdom, right? It's more than just a place that you go to after you die. D.A. Carson has a really great quote describing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He says, it's more a reign, as in the reign of a king. It's more a reign than it is a realm. It's, it's more of a power than it is a place. And listen, if we're going to be healthy disciples of Jesus, we must have a deep understanding, love, and embrace for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We were created for it. And so we're going to keep that going this morning. Go ahead, grab your Bible. Matthew chapter 8, you can flip there. We'll have the words on the screen for you. Uh, I'm not going to give you some like exciting intro that like introduces the topic this morning because I have a lot to cover and I want to get through it in the amount of time allotted to me. So Matthew chapter 8, what we're going to do is we're going to read three different stories here, but there's a thread that kind of runs through all three. Before I read these stories, before we jump into this, I want to pray I want to pray for each one of you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for our time. So join me. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father, help me to slow down this morning. Help me to move at a sacred pace, your pace. Not out in front of you, not falling behind. I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, I ask you to help us, that you'd help us um, take the truths of what you say, Lord, through your word, and actually, like, absorb them. Not just in, like, head knowledge, but experientially. I pray that you'd show us the beauty and glory of Jesus. Let us see more and more about your glory your love, your patience, your power, your goodness, your infinite wisdom. We want more of your kingdom in our lives. We want more of you in our lives, Lord. So that's our desire. We posture our hearts now. We ask you to minimize distraction. Help me to serve well, love well. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in each one of our hearts and minds and lives. So have your way. We want your kingdom this morning and always. And we all said together, amen. Okay, so like I said, 
I want you to, I want you to track with me three different stories, okay? We're going to read them in succession. <clears throat> three different stories, and all of them have to do with healing. Now, here's what I want you to do. As we read this, I want you to, I want you to see if you can keep track of, one, who gets healed. Secondly, what, condition, what conditions are present when they get healed, who gets healed and what conditions are present? Okay, I'm going to read all three and then we'll chat through them. Matthew 8, starting in verse 1, we're going to go all the way through verse 17. It says this, when he, the he, there's Jesus. When he came down from the mountain. Anybody know why he's coming down from the mountain? Sermon on the Mount. We just wrapped up. We just finished going through the entire Sermon on the Mount. He just finished this. The greatest sermon ever. He finished it. He's coming down from the mountain. And this is what happens. Large crowds followed him. Picture it in your mind. Right away, verse two, right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's story number one. Let's keep reading story number two, verse five. When he, there's Jesus again, when he entered Capernaum, like his home base, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. Jesus said to him, am I to come and heal him? Verse eight, Lord, the centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, And he goes, I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, he's talking about the Jews here, will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus told the centurion, I'm sorry, then Jesus told the centurion, go. As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. There's that immediately again. That's story number two. Story number three, verse 14. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He's going to quote Isaiah. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. All right. That's our passage. 
my first kind of point that I want to touch on this morning is one that's fairly obvious if you read this, and that's this. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. You have the leper, right? You have the centurion's servant. You have Peter's mother-in-law. And you also have everyone that was brought to him in Capernaum. Now, I want to I wanna be sensitive here because all of us experience brokenness in our lives. And many of us struggle with like all kinds of brokenness. And some of them really, really severe. Right? They're, 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 and there's different forms. There's, there's, there's physical brokenness. And you don't need me to describe this to you, but like, gosh, all of us, to some degree or another, like our bodies are breaking down. And sometimes it's seasonally. Sometimes it's just the trajectory of aging and all that. Physical brokenness, illnesses, right? Some of us are dealing with serious illnesses right now. How about this one? This is the one that people don't really like to talk about that much, especially in the church. It's getting better, but like mental health, like the things that we think, like the condition of, of what's going on in our minds and in our brains. Physical brokenness. Not just physical brokenness. Many people in this room even struggling with emotional brokenness. I would argue every single one of us in the room. Emotional brokenness, some deep wounds like things that you've gone out of your way to kind of shove away deep pains, deep wounds. And you know it's, you know it's not good because you, you don't even want to think about it. Betrayal. Many of us in the room, if you've ever lost someone close to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like emotional brokenness. It hurts. Not just physical brokenness, not just emotional brokenness, but spiritual brokenness as well. This is when, like, like your sin or, or someone else's sin has an effect on you that leaves a lasting impression that's negative. Again, I think that's the entire room, right? Guilt or shame because of things that you've done, or maybe even it's moved into apathy, which might even be more dangerous. or the sins of other people affecting you and ultimately kind of influencing our relationship with God, right? Start to develop trust issues with God then trust issues with any kind of godly authority. And here's when I say godly authority, I don't mean just pastors, man. I mean like brothers and sisters because authority was abused. And so now you have spiritual wounds that are influencing you. So many of us, I know that's, a, that's been a part of my story. Many of us in the room as well. So I want to be really sensitive here because it's clear when you read not just this passage, when you read the New Testament, you're like, Jesus is a healer. Absolutely. But many of us struggle with different forms, various forms of brokenness. And have you ever been in, your, in, in a space in your life where you're like, yeah, Jesus is a healer, but like, why isn't he healing me? Or why isn't he healing somebody I love? Like, why not now? 
I just want to, before we really dive into that, I want to say that those are really valid questions. They matter. You see, we live in this tension of what theologians describe as the already not yet. What I mean by that is that the kingdom of God is breaking in through Jesus, through his spirit, through his spirit, through his people. Again, the rule and the reign of Jesus, things the way they were designed to be, things the way that they ought to be. That's breaking in in spectacular ways. And at the exact same time, the kingdom of darkness is operating as well. Like, here's a good example of that. We still die. So we can see simultaneously this already, like, power. People getting healed miraculously. People being, they're, they're, even their spiritual brokenness being redeemed to the point where they're reconciled to God and reconciled to God's people. And at the exact same time, there's still brokenness of the not yet fully realized kingdom of God. Are you guys tracking with this concept? We live in this funky tension right now, and it's hard. So those questions, why not me? Why not somebody I love? Why not now? Why isn't this fullness of the kingdom happening now? Those are really valid questions because we live in this tension. It produces questions like that, and those questions are valid. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is still a healer. He's still a healer. All right, my next kind of point. Jesus isn't just a healer. He is a healer, but he's not just a healer. Jesus is king and he has authority over everything. He's king and he has authority over everything. If you're taking notes, write that one down. All right? Whenever you see these these miracles taking place in the Bible, right? These miraculous healings, what they're doing is they're demonstrating something. They're demonstrating Jesus' power and authority as king. Look back at verse two, the leper. Verse two, right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, we said it together, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest." and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, I want you to see something here. Jesus gives the leper instructions. Did you catch it? So he heals him, and then he gives him instructions. What were the instructions? What was the first thing? Did you catch it? Yeah, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't, don't tell anybody. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he be like, hey, here's this, this miraculous uh, example of my power and my authority at work, but don't tell anybody. Now, this is something that the vast majority of biblical scholars and commentators are like they unanimously agree on. And what they agree about is the reason why Jesus tells this guy not to tell anybody is because Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand who he is. When I was a kid, um, my parents, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't regularly go to the movies, but we went to the movies like, I don't know, a couple few times a year. And if you're anything like me, there's something about like that, I don't know, when you're elementary, junior high, whatever, in that kind of age range, where like the movie theater just felt like spectacular. It was like, oh my gosh, there's this massive screen and it's like the sound's loud and you're, you're like, it, it, I don't know, it just did something to me as a child where it captured my imagination and it was this really special thing 
And I, I don't know, part of me grieves that that isn't really the case anymore, but whatever. Maybe it's just because no one writes anything good anymore. They just kind of regurgitate all the, they're just retelling stories instead of writing something new. Sidetrack. Um, but hear me, I, I remember a handful of times going to the movies where it captured my imagination in a way that just was like, it, I don't know, it was really forming. Like it really had an effect on me. And I remember, I remember going to see Aladdin, the Disney movie. Did anybody else as a child see that in the theater? Cool, yeah, a hand, handful of you. Um, it came out in 1992. I was still in elementary school. My parents took us to go see Aladdin. And I remember like laughing at the movie and it was good and whatever, you know, Disney, the whole storytelling thing. But I remember being like captivated by the genie. I remember being captivated by the idea that like, wait a second, you can have access to this genie who will grant you three wishes and I remember like thinking over and over again, like, well, what would my three wishes be like? And you ha- I'd make like a first draft, you know, it'd be this toy and then this experience and then this, right? No, like, I, you kind of shift them in and out and things like lose the second spot, almost down to the third and you find a new. I don't know if that all ever goes away. Do you, do you ever do that? Do you ever like, like, even in the back of your mind, like, God, I wish this? What are those things for you? I know it's all of us. I wish for, what? I wish I was on, I was was talking to Mike, I wish I was on a plane to Hawaii. I wish I just had a little bit more cash. I wish I had friends who really understood me. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, whatever. If you had a genie, what would your top three be? Jesus tells this leper not to tell anybody because he doesn't want people to misunderstand who he is. Friends, hear me. Jesus is not a genie who grants you your wishes. He's a king who's worthy of your worship. Jesus knows if word gets out, you're gonna have a whole bunch of genie hunters coming after Jesus. And in the process, misunderstand, he's not a genie who grants you your wishes. He's a king who's worthy of your worship. Because you actually don't know what you need. You just think you do. And listen, people come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, right? If you spent any time in the church, and when I say the church, I mean like the big C church globally, you will see people come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. I remember the first church plant, uh, me and my wife down in San Diego, Eric and Heather were there as well. It was predominantly like young professionals, singles, a handful of kind of newly married folks. There was only two kids in the entire church, one of which was Amelia. So it was just a different thing. But I I could see them coming from a mile. These young dudes... They're cruising up on the church. Guess why they're there? Ladies, you know. They're there for you. Like, they're cruising for girls, man. They're just like, okay, how do I, like, posture myself here? And then when you come along, hey, dude, let's, let's, let's talk. It becomes very evident that they're really not, they're not anti-Jesus. He's just not the reason they're there. People come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. I think one of the things that's been hard for me 
are just painful over the last couple decades following Jesus is, is watching people who in one season presumably see Jesus clearly. They see his worth. They see his glory. They see his beauty to the point where they're like, yeah, I want to follow him. I want to make him my Lord. I want to do what he says. I want to go where he says to go and all the things. And then later, they're not following Jesus. And the reason they're not following Jesus is because he didn't grant them one of their wishes. And so they've withdrawn and withheld their worship. Problem is, friends, Jesus, he's not a genie. And he doesn't want people to misunderstand who he is. Make no mistake, he is a healer. Jesus is a healer, absolutely, but he's not just a healer. Jesus is king and he has authority over everything. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how Jesus heals in this passage, right? He does it by giving an order. Look back at verse three with the leopard. Not the leopard, the leper. (laughs) He did not heal a leopard. He healed a leper. Look at verse three. Jesus says something. He says, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. He gave an order. It, it, It was his words to the authority and the power of him giving an order and then immediately it takes place. It happens. Look at the centurion's servant. That story. If you aren't familiar with what a centurion is, a centurion is basically a commanding officer in the Roman army. All right? These centurions, um, they, would, they would be in charge of about 100 men. Right? So this centurion rolls up to Jesus, and he goes, I know how authority works, Jesus. I'm a centurion. I know how authority works. Like my commanding officer, right, gives me an order, and I execute it. I have these men, like I give my men an order and they execute it. He goes, Jesus, all you have to do is give the order. All you have to do is say the word. And Jesus does, right? And it says that the centurion's servant was healed at that very moment. I want you to see, guys, like I think sometimes we don't fully acknowledge at a heart level this, that Jesus is king and he has authority over everything. And the, the, the third story, the healings at Capernaum, right? So he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law and then look what it says in, in verse 16. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed He drove out the spirits with what? A word. And he healed all who were sick with a word. He gives the order and it happens. Jesus is king and he has authority over everything. Now listen, people are cool with that as long as Jesus uses his authority to grant their wishes. I'm cool with Jesus being, having all the authority. I'm totally cool with it. As long as 
He says yes to my desires. But Jesus is not a genie who grants us our desires. He's the king. He's worthy of our worship. All right. My next point that we see really clearly in these three stories, and I like this one. Jesus' kingdom is for all types of people and all types of brokenness. Jesus' kingdom is for all types of people and all types of brokenness. I want you to consider the people in this passage. Um, Sometimes we can read through the Bible and like glean some of the things out of it without actually like entering into the story. Like, like, Like putting yourself in the shoes of these people and their experience and how they would have encountered Jesus and his people. Consider these people. Okay, look, let's, let's look back again at the leper. Are you familiar with what leprosy is? <clears throat> leprosy is basically a contagious skin disease. And here's the thing about leprosy. You can't hide it. Some of us are really good at hiding some of our brokenness, right? Like really good at it, like skillful at it. Leprosy is one of those areas of brokenness, no matter how hard you try, you cannot hide it unless you hide every square inch of your skin. Patches and blisters and bleeding, and it was gross. So it's this contagious skin disease. It's horrible. And what they would do is, according to Jewish law, they would quarantine people with leprosy. Like they would literally get them away. Like they could not be around. And I was reading some like, um, uh, some uh, history on this. Jewish rabbis, there's many accounts of Jewish rabbis literally like hurling and throwing and chucking rocks at lepers to keep them at bay, to keep them back. And also according to Jewish law, lepers were what was known as unclean. Uh, Look at Leviticus chapter 13. Would you guys throw that up there? Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 and 46 says this. The person who has a case of serious skin disease, that's leprosy, and other various forms of serious skin disease, is to have his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. Get the picture. Whenever a leper was nearby anybody, one, they had to, they had to be obvious. They had to, like, obviously they're a person with leprosy and they had to literally cover their mouth and go, essentially, I'm unclean. I'm unclean just so that all of you know so that you don't become unclean coming near someone who's unclean. I'm unclean. You're clean. I'm unclean. Look at 46. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. That's why when the leper goes to Jesus, he goes, you can cleanse me. Because he's unclean. Uh, The Lexham Theological Word Book says this about this idea of Biblical cleanliness and biblical, like, unclean versus clean. Listen to this quote. I don't think I gave you this, guy, this one, guys. Sorry. The biblical categories of clean and unclean relate to ritual purity and describe the condition of something relative to its suitability for being in God's presence. Being, in, uh, being unclean disqualifies the person or thing from sharing God's presence. Being clean means that one is able to enter God's presence. Think about this, okay? 
So to be unclean in, in Jewish culture, in their society, was to be, hear me, was to be barred from God's presence and God's people. I, I'm being, this isn't supposed to be hyperbolic. I'm not exaggerating. I honestly cannot think of anything worse than that. If I was barred from the presence of my God and all the, 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 the scriptures talk about how, how the presence of God is, is fullness of joy. As a human being, that you will be saturated with joy. You were created to be in God's presence and close unity, proximity, relationship with him. So imagine a person who's, you're unclean. You cannot, you're forbidden from God's presence. And not only that, but from God's people. I, I'm done. If that's me, I'm like, I got, I, why? why? What's the point? Like, I can't be with the Lord and I, I can't be in God's presence and I can't be with his people? I'm not gonna speak for you. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine anything worse than that. I mean, anything. That's as bad as it gets. But hear me. Jesus' kingdom all of its glory, all of its benefits, all of its privileges. Jesus' kingdom is for all types of broken people, even the unclean. Now hear me. Nobody in the room has leprosy. Okay? You're probably not physically unclean. But are you spiritually unclean? Like, in other words, are you living in ways that keep you from closeness to God? Or, by extension, even, are you living in such a way where things are keeping you from closeness with God's people? If so, I have really good news for you. Jesus' kingdom is for you. That's the leper. What about the centurion's servant? The centurion and their servant, they're Gentiles. That means they're not Jews. Okay, so they don't have the heritage. They don't have the stories. They don't have the experiences where God's like rescuing them, delivering them, intervening for them. Like, like they don't have that. They're, they're, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. Maybe you can kind of relate with that. Maybe you don't have a religious background. Maybe like church, the Bible, God even maybe that's relatively new to you. If that's you, I got really good news for you too. Jesus' kingdom is for you. And then we have Peter's mother-in-law, right? And not just her, but everybody in Capernaum. Those were the Jews. Okay, these, these, they were the people of God. All right? They were well-versed in the scripture, they were well-versed in the law. So maybe that's like, kind of like you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you were raised to value the things of God. Maybe you've been walking with God for a while. If that's you, I have good news for you. Jesus' kingdom is for you too. Jesus' kingdom is for all types of people, 
in all types of brokenness. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, Jesus' kingdom is for you. Now, my final point. I'm going to wrap up here quick. Did you notice the conditions when the healings took place? I prepped you. It's like, hey, keep track of who gets healed and keep track of the conditions where the healings took place. Did you notice the conditions? Let's look back again. Both the leper and the centurion, okay? Notice how they both approached Jesus. Did you catch it? The first thing, they both approached Jesus in humility. Right? It says the leper kneels before him. Both the leper and the centurion call him what? Lord. Hear me, that's not a nickname. Lord. It, it, it means master. They didn't call him teacher, which would have been a sign of respect. They didn't call him rabbi, which would have been a sign of respect. They didn't call him sir. They didn't even call him by his name. They said, Lord. In other words, you're higher than me. You're Lord. And the centurion's like, Jesus, like, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. I'm not even worthy to have you in my home. So both of them, they both bring their brokenness to Jesus. How? Humbly, in humility. In the second way, that both of these men approach Jesus with their brokenness as they approach Jesus in faith. Faith gets twisted. Faith gets misunderstood. I think if we had a clear biblical understanding of faith, we'd experience so much more peace and freedom in our lives. Friends, what faith is, biblically speaking, faith is confidence and trust that's demonstrated through action. Confidence and trust that's demonstrated through action, okay? It's probably more on the surface. It's probably more obvious here with the centurion, right? And Jesus even acknowledges the centurion's faith publicly. Did you catch it? Let's look back at it. We're doing okay on time. Verse eight, Lord, there it is. The centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, right? He gives all, he, he understands authority. You, you give commands and they get, they get obeyed. Verse 10, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel, the people of God, the Jews, the ones that should have known better. I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So Jesus publicly commends this Gentile's faith This person who doesn't have the experience, it'd be the equivalent of like, never been to church, don't know the Bible stories, don't know the Christianese language and how to like fit in and look good and acceptable and all, no, they don't. And Jesus goes, that guy's got more faith than I've seen all month. Faith, confidence and trust that Jesus has both power and authority over the brokenness that's being brought to him. He approaches Jesus with great faith 
in Jesus. That Jesus is who he says he is and he can do what he said he would do. But it's not just the centurion. It's why I wanted to read these, these stories together. I'm going to share something with you right now that I never noticed before with this leper. I've read this story a bunch of times, studied it a bunch of times. I want you to notice something absolutely incredible. Um, look at verse 2 again. The unclean one, the leper, kneels before Jesus, and look what he says in verse 2. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's not a question. Like, he's not asking Jesus to heal him, he's making a statement. It still gives me chills. He doesn't ask to be healed. He's making a statement. So what's happening here? Again, it's humility and faith on display through action. I mean, look at this leper's posture, guys. Look at his posture. He's like, essentially, Jesus, you're not obligated to heal me. But I know you can. You're not obligated to heal me. I know you can. You're able. It blows my mind. He doesn't even ask Jesus to heal him. He brings his brokenness to Jesus with humility and faith. Listen to me. Genuine faith like biblical faith, genuine faith, it does not demand healing in exchange for our worship. Genuine faith is not, Jesus, I will worship you with all that I have and submit to you as king if you heal my leprosy. That's not genuine faith. That, that's treating Jesus like a genie. And that's a tremendous misunderstanding of who he is. Uh, let me read you a quote from your boy, Trip Lee. <clears throat> he says this, quote, I think I have this one for you guys, yeah. We have such a misguided view on faith. We treat faith like a wish sometimes. Like I didn't study for my test, but I have faith that I'm gonna pass it. That's foolish. I'm not going to work, but I have faith that money will be in my account. That's not faith, that's foolish. The kind of faith that the Bible talks about is very different than what we do. Sometimes we will just come up with something and say, I have faith that God is going to do that. We listen to this. We demand things of God and then call it faith. Faith is not giving God an assignment and holding him to it. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. Check this out. Some of us, str some of us struggle with our faith in Jesus because he hasn't done the things he never said he would do in the first place. 
end quote. Oh. Hear me, guys. What we see in this passage that's so helpful to us is that both this leper and this centurion, they approached Jesus in two ways, humility and with faith. They both display a confidence and a trust that Jesus is able to do something with their brokenness. And then guess what? He does. Because it's who he is. My final point, Jesus is able and willing to deliver those who bring their brokenness to him with humility and faith. I know that's a lot of words. I'm gonna say it again, write it down, chew on it this week. Jesus is able and willing to deliver those who bring their brokenness to him with humility and faith. I just lost some of you, and here's why. Because you're like, what if I'm still suffering? What if the brokenness hasn't gone away yet? Like, cool, Tom, hear you. Jesus is able to. God is able to. And okay, fine, he's willing to for other people, but what about me? What about my loved one? I can't think of a more vulnerable place to be than that, can you? One of the hard, harder things about pastoral ministry is it's really easy to have faith for others. It's more challenging to have faith for yourself. Can you think of anything more vulnerable than that? Like to, to suffer with something that you've asked God to deliver you from, but he hasn't delivered you from it. I look around the room and I'm like trying to hold back tears because I see so many of you. Borrowed this from Triple E again. Uh, he uses a really helpful illustration. If you go into a city, like New York City, you have a lot of high-rise buildings, right? <clears throat> and these residential high-rise buildings on the ground floor is where people enter their, their building, their home. They, they take the elevator up to their house. And some of these like nicer, kind of more wealthier areas, they have a doorman. You ever seen a doorman doing his job? You walk up to the door, you can't get in. Buzz you in. Can I help you? Yeah, I just thought this building was beautiful. I wanted to check it out. Sorry, man, can't let you in. Right? What doormen do is they decide who can come in. Right? And, and if a doorman's good, they only let people in who you want to see. A good doorman keeps people out who aren't supposed to be there. Friends, hear me. In the same way, God does not allow anything in our life that's not for good. I think sometimes we think that if there's something that's difficult for us, there's something painful, there's a, 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 an area of suffering that somehow it like snuck past God. Like he's the doorman who's like asleep on the job. Or worse yet, he doesn't care. Maybe he's not who he said he is. Maybe he's not loving. Maybe he's not kind. 
Maybe he doesn't care about me and my situation. I'm here to tell you, that's like a lie. It's a demonic lie. Let me read you one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. Romans 8, 28. You've all heard it. And we know that God causes everything. Say everything. That includes everything. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Hear me. This is hard, but hear me. This means that any brokenness he allows in your life, like it must mean it has a redemptive purpose. Because nothing sneaks by him. He's not the absent-minded doorman. He's your heavenly father. And he's your savior, your deliverer. One of my favorite verses in all of scriptures and found in John chapter 10. And Jesus, he's kind of a, he's kind of getting to this point where he's talking about the sacrifice that he's gonna make for all mankind. He's gonna be like the substitute, the lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sins of the world. It's, it's Jesus going to the cross in our place right? He's punished. He takes on the penalty for our sin, our transgressions, and we get credited with his righteousness. it's It's his mission to save, to deliver the lost. And he makes a statement. He says, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus is both able and willing to deliver you from the entirety of your brokenness, not just the temporary stuff. Hear me. Every miraculous healing that you read in the Bible, it's temporary. Jesus, he rose Lazarus from the dead. Unbelievable. That was a temporary healing, was it not? And it showcased what? His power, his authority, his glory. Absolutely, there's so much redemptive purpose in that. But there's not more redemptive purpose in that than some of the suffering that you're experiencing. But hear me, the day is coming. The cross is proof. The day is coming when the fullness of the brokenness of the world will be restored. And how many of you know this? God doesn't just care about your leprosy. He cares about your soul, man the entirety of who you are and the lengths that he's gone to to make certain that you are eternally and wholly and completely redeemed, restored, healed at a soul level. Oh, friends, he's not just able. He's not just able, he's willing. And the cross shows us that. the eternally, like the eternal healing, the eternal restoration. And what's, one of the things I love about Jesus is he's like a, did you catch that? He, he totally like references in verse 11. It's not just like, cool, Tom, but like that's not in the passage. You're just grabbing at straws to make people feel comfortable and like soften the blow of suffering. Dude, look at verse 11. Did you catch it? He references this eternal reality that he is, he's prepared for us in advance. He references, did you catch it? 
He references the banquet. Oh, friend, do you know about the banquet? Do you know about the banquet for those in Christ? The marriage supper of the lamb who was slain? He's referencing the reality of the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. We talk about the tension of the already not yet. We're there. He's referencing what his blood, his sacrifice produces, and that is the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of him getting his way realized on the earth. I don't know if you know this. The Bible doesn't say that you're going to heaven. It says heaven's coming to earth, baby. In its fullness. He references the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where there's no more tears. There's no more grief. Oh, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more death. So can I just encourage you, if you're in that season where you're still suffering and you're like, why not me? Like, your deliverance is coming. Your deliverance is coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Why? Because Jesus, the King, is able and willing to deliver those who bring their brokenness to him with humility and with faith. All right, I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. Would you guys come and join me? I don't know what it is, but I just conveniently get the heavy passages in this series, don't I? They're all heavy. Jesus' words are heavy. Um, I want to call the ministry team up to the prayer team. Would you guys make yourself available off maybe up here and stuff? That would be awesome. Uh, I want to confess to you that preparing this sermon was really challenging for me this week because I've realized some very like, significant ways where I'm, I'm approaching Jesus like a genie. And I am keeping parts of my heart from him because he hasn't given me what I want. And so it was challenging, man. It was like, God, I got to get up and deliver this message when I'm the guy who's doing just as guilty. Like, but can I just remind you, Jesus' kingdom is for people like me. And his kingdom is for people like you. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you recognize that there's some areas in your life where you've been approaching Jesus kind of the wrong way. You've been approaching him like a genie, or more like a genie and, and less like a Lord. Or maybe you just simply need him to touch you. Maybe you just need him to touch your life. Maybe there's these areas of brokenness in you. Physical brokenness, maybe. Emotional brokenness, maybe. Spiritual brokenness, maybe. Maybe all three. And you're like, I try really hard to like not think about those things, Tom. Like I work really, really hard to stay busy enough to sprinkle some really good things in my life. I, I, I do some good behavior so I don't, that, that stuff isn't as loud. It can be like a distracting thing. 
I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot outrun this stuff, guys. So maybe you're here, maybe you're approaching Jesus more like a genie, less like a Lord. Maybe you're here and you just need him to touch your life because there's brokenness inside of you, brokenness on you, brokenness around you that you need the one who's not just able but willing to deliver you from brokenness as you approach him with humility and faith. If that's you, please, please, please come receive prayer. Come receive ministry. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able? Jesus, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit right now would help us see you clearly. You're king. You're the king. You have power and authority over everything. And you, you, you leverage that authority. You utilize that authority for our good, even in ways that we don't see yet. You're producing things in us. You're cultivating things in us. You are like the potter forming us more and more into your likeness. You are preparing a bride for the marriage feast of the Lamb, for the banquet, for the fullness of the kingdom of God being realized on the earth. No pain, no suffering, no crying, no death. Help us to see you clearly, I pray. And I pray right now that faith really would rise up as people see you for who you really are. That confidence and trust in you, not demanding things from you, but knowing that you're good and that you love us, your Father. So I pray, Lord, that right now every single one of us in this room would approach you with humility and with faith that would bring any form of brokenness that we are experiencing, bringing it to you, not with demands, but with faith-filled expectation that you are doing and will do something profoundly transformative and restorative and even eternal with it. Transform us, heal us, mend us on every level we pray. It's in your holy and beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, for the next 15, 20 minutes, we are going to respond to the goodness of God. Two types of people, patients and priests. Priests delivering God praise, blessing him because he's worthy and he's wonderful and he's kind and he's Lord and he's good and he's faithful and he's powerful. And patience. Don't apologize for that ever, brother. That's the proper response. Thanks for leading the way, brother. Enjoy the Lord. Receive ministry. Enjoy the goodness of God.